coming up on today's show. The Tomahawk Show is back. The combine was lit. I won an Oscar, and Joe made another Hall of Fame. NFL super agent Peter Schaefer calls the show to break down the CBA and why this labor negotiation is, in his words, historic. Playing in traffic, painkillers, and which one of these two hosts can dunk a basketball? The answer may surprise you. All of this and much, much more coming up on another Oscar award-winning episode of The Tomahawk Show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Tomahawk Show. Me and Joe have been gone on a hiatus, but we are here blessing your beautiful ears with incredible audio back again. I'm joined by my guy, Joe Thomas, and I am Andrew Hawkins. I'm not going to lie. I'm not as humble as I once was, Joe. Joe, how you doing, man? Oh, I know that you're not that humble because <laughs> you have had a mountain of cool things happen to you in the last couple you know? months. Uh, we've been on sabbatical, but we have not been on vacation because no. we've been working diligently on our other jobs, NFL Network for me yep. and for you. You've been accepting Oscars. Yeah, just man. It's, you know, right and left. You know, it's funny. You got to speak some things into existence. We've been calling this the Oscar award winning Tomahawk show. And now we are one of, if not the only, true sports podcast with an actual Oscar. And that is just a crazy thing to say because we've been lying about that for three years out of joking. <laughs> and yeah, so I was the executive producer of Hair Love, which won uh, the Academy Award this year for Best Animated Short. Executive producer Andrew Hawkins, Oscar Award winner. That's crazy, Joe. That is wild, man. It doesn't seem real, still. So I got to hear just briefly, like, what was your association with yeah. the show? And okay. what was your association with Oscar winning? And how has it changed your life? So, I mean, I don't have an actual Oscar trophy. Let me start there. They only give out two. All right, the two all you right. see on stage. It's starting to peel back the onion here. It's <laughs> it's a little rotten under the skin. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now that we're gonna now that all the people who are gonna give me lots of money have stopped listening, I can tell the <laughs> the unadulterated truth about the whole process. I am an Oscar winning executive producer. Executive producer of an Oscar winning film. Um, there's only actually two Oscar trophies that go out to each project. So the people you see on stage are the people that have the actual trophies at their house, right? Um, but for everybody else, they are Oscar winners for being a part of that film in whatever facet you are doing it. Because there's no point of anybody being a part of any film if it doesn't win an Oscar, you know? So, hmm. that being said. Interesting. Yeah, so that's... Just so, no point. Don't even know, waste your time. If you can't win an Oscar, don't If you don't win an game. Oscar, stop what you're doing. That's That you're is what somebody time. who has... No humbleness left in his body would say. If you're not yeah, going to win an Oscar, one. you might as well not even try to make a movie. Every film that I've been an executive producer on has won an Oscar. I don't think there's a lot of people in Hollywood that can say that. man. You know? That's so anyway, so how, how it started. So when I first retired, well, even before I retired, I got connected with Matthew Cherry, who was a Akron wide receiver, another Mac wideout, right? Mm. So Matthew Cherry played in the Mac conference, played at Akron, bounced around the NFL for a couple of years. And we got connected, and he was just like a really like go-getter type. And he had been trying to chase this Hollywood thing for 10 years. He had like an injury settlement when he retired, and he like used that money to pack up his car, buy a camera, and come out to Hollywood to try to make it out here. So he's been grinding there for like 10 years. At this moment, again, he had did some independent films, and he's like, hey, man, I have a really good idea for a short film um, that is a powerful lesson about you know, the importance of self-love and care around, you know, little little black girls in their hair, 
Um, and I'm like, well, you know, I have twin daughters. That sounds like an awesome story. I, for one, would love to be a part of that. What are you looking for? He said, well, we're looking for just some funding, but more importantly, like the marketing of it is like very important and getting certain people like getting in front of certain people. So what I like, look, I want to help any way possible. I think it's an awesome story that I just want to see come to life for my little girls to be able to see and be like, oh, that is cool. Right. Um, And originally my two daughters were supposed to be the executive producers. So I did it like, okay, put my two daughters' names on there as the executive producers, right? Autumn and Aubrey Hawkins. I thought that would be cool as they got older. See themselves as EPs of a film, right? So as time went on, and I'm putting this thing in front of everybody. I'm not going to name the names of the big-time people that I had meetings with, sat down with, and they were like, yeah, no, I don't see it, right? (laughs) Yeah, it'll never work. (laughs) It'll never work, right? So I'm like... That's what I said about Facebook. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Joe trashed the investor deck to Facebook. It's like, who's this Zuckerberg guy? (laughs) He's never played no ball. He's an idiot. Um, So yeah, so I'm doing all this, and we're we're chasing it, and then he starts to go the GoFundMe for it, and it like just blows up. So now it's blown up and, you know, now brands are coming. And as this thing gets more real, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to keep my name on that just in case. Right. (laughs) As things keep going. So we're like, you know, we would have these drafts and he would, you know, update and we'd have to send back notes. Hey, what do you think of this? And just do the whole process. And I remember when he sent me and John might remember this producer, John, he sent me the version like that was as close to like the final. And I like teared up, dude. And when he first sent me the script three years ago, now this is a script with no words. Well, the script has words, but the film itself has no dialogue. So you're just reading like situational. I don't know what the correct term is, but like stage direction, and stage emotion. direction, and things like so. And you're reading what's happening, and I teared up like the original script. And I'm like, yo, a film with no words that is not even real yet just made me tear up. This has to be special. I didn't know how special it was. But as the more I heard about it, I thought back then, I, t- I was telling everyone, I'm like, I think this will win an Oscar for an- best animated short. And people thought I was like buku crazy and just the typical athlete just thinking they can just come in <laughs> and they think whatever they touch is gold and you can just walk in here and think you get part of one mm. film and it's going to win an Oscar. And here I am again with the I told you so juice uh, <laughs> just sprinkled all over my desk here. So, yeah. So what, what's the relationship with director Matthew Cherry at this point? That's Have my, you guys maintained a good oh, that's, relationship? That's my guy. That's my guy. So I you guys argue. are boys. Yeah, we're boys, man. So we, awesome. we had a, a a party over at Sony because Sony ended up acquiring the film once it was done. Um, and obviously they're all juiced about what a great acquisition, right? And they won an Oscar. So we had the Oscar celebration at Sony Animation. So the kids came out and mm. it was just a picnic awesome. out here. Now it, it was really cool, man. But yeah, Matt, Matthew was about to blow up, basically. Yeah. And mm. there's already a list of projects that I'm like, yeah, man, we're going to get you on this. We got to get you to mm. let's do this together. And, mm. you know, so we'll see what happens because his phone, he might change his number on me. But as of now, he still answers text. <laughs> so I'm leaning in, bro. So what sort of benefit? Because this is really the only thing anybody cares about. What sort of benefits have you reaped since you won your Oscar? So here's the thing again. And, and I know we're joking around. I don't like it's you prepare your mind so much for something that you believe it is fact, right? Like, so for you, there might be something that you accomplished, but when you're working for so long to get to it, by the time you get there, the the thrill is kind of wore off. 
You know, like it's it's like you with money. It's because you've already convinced yourself in your head that it's happened. Yeah. So when it really happens, you're like, yeah, I expected that. Yeah. So it's like where everyone else is like just seeing and it's the senses are heightened. It's like, oh, snap, that's crazy. It is mm-hmm. crazy. But in my mind, I just really believed that it was going to happen. So I dealt with a little bit of that and not really being like sitting back and like, okay, well, as far as executive producers go, if you're going to executively produce a film, anyone who ever does that wants to do it for an Oscar winning film. And it did that. So it's like a little weird if everyone's like been congratulating. The the biggest difference is people think I have good ideas now. Whereas before, <laughs> like four weeks ago, they well, thought I was an idiot. Have them call me. Like, give them my phone number and I can <laughs> set them straight. It's like I pitched them with an idea a month and a half ago. Like, yeah, I don't see it. Now they double back. Like, man, you know what? The more I think about this, we might have something here. I'm like, yeah, that's weird. It's funny how that works. Uh, that's awesome, man. What what a, what a couple months that you've been through. But, yeah, it's cool. Uh, let's bro. dive into the podcast here. Right. So if you want to interact with the show, as always, you can do it on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram at Tomahawk Show. Uh, of course, join our Facebook group. It's the Tomahawk. Call the voicemail line. Drop us a voicemail, 440-628-1376. And as always, check us out on YouTube, on Uninterrupted's YouTube page. Every show we do is available on YouTube. Uh, I think it's time to get right into the A block, which is the combine. Wait, 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 wait. That's before we do combine. This is the and it's it's like a joke, but it's not a joke. Didn't you get inducted into another Hall of Fame since we've been gone? Yeah, I did, and I actually (laughs) couldn't even attend. So that was. Let's see. I, I had to like make sure I set it up because I didn't want people to think I was making a joke. Yeah. Like, it's no, funny. No. How did you hear about this? This was not uh, on the same level as the College Football Hall of Fame. But no. I actually did get inducted to another Hall of Fame. And <laughs> I couldn't attend because yeah, I if recently. You, if, you have, if you went to every Hall yeah. of Fame that you got inducted to, I mean. I, mean, I wouldn't have any weekends. How are you going to be a dad? Right? 52 you know? for 52. <laughs> so I got inducted to another Hall of Fame uh, this winter, which was pretty cool. Wisconsin Track and Field Hall of Fame. <laughs> Uh, not uh, a huge list of people, but we've got some good track athletes that have come out Goodness of Wisconsin. Gracious. And if you told I, me you were a Hall of Fame track and field athlete, I would have called you a liar. Yeah, I am a Hall of Fame and field athlete because <laughs> I was not exactly a runner. I ran hurdles in middle school, but that was it. So I got. Hey, if I'm an Oscar winner, you're Hall a track and field Hall of Famer. Okay, there you go. Yeah, no. let's leave it at that. No yeah. details needed to add on that. <laughs> so I recently filmed a TV show. It was not in Wisconsin. I'm not able to reveal the exact location because it might give it away. But it is a huge show with millions and millions of viewers every single week. It's going to be coming out, I believe, next fall. But I was actually out of town filming that show. And that was the week that we had the Hall of Fame. So I didn't even get to attend my own Hall of Fame ceremony. But I sent a <laughs> video in accepting the award and apologizing for not being able to be there. You're that guy. So I did a, a spoof like, video of all the different guys accepting awards. Did you see it, Joe? I saw it. It was really good. It wasn't as good as your showing up to the no. stadium one, but it was still pretty funny. It was like part two. It was like the sequel. It's never as good as the original, but it <laughs> right. was still funny. I had three really funny ones in there that were too controversial for the network that it was uh, on. So that that <laughs> that's that really hurt the the viability of that mm. one. But in that, there was yeah. the guy who's too cool to show up, and you were 100% mm. that, that guy me. for the Hall of Fame. I was there. So one thing that we weren't too cool to show up with was the NFL combine. Both you and I were there. We were strutting our stuff. You were looking amazing. As always, you got the best stylists on on (laughs) planet earth. Exactly. Uh, I was just there looking real super regular. Me and Sean (laughs) O'Hara were detailing the offensive line drills on the field. 
Yeah, yeah. You were doing more like the social media, like cool, fun yep. stuff. Yep. So what was that week like for you? It was cool, man. It was cool. So me and Colleen Wolf, the lone wolf, our homegirl, uh, oh. we we interviewed players from the combine field as they came off the field up for drills on day one. And it was weird. So we're like, you know, it was for uh, the Twitter NFL show that I do with all of our tentpole events. So the like, check down. Yep, the check down. Great shout show. out the check down. Um, and it's funny because we have to, it's a fun show. You know what I'm saying? And we're like drawing back to old social media posts and we're talking fun things. And the guys will come off and here we are like, yo, look at this funny tweet from 2016 you sent. What were you thinking here? And they're looking at, first off, they're still in combine mode. So when I go when I go to meet them, I'm going for the the, the bro dap like you know mm-hmm. to 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 bring their guard down like yo I'm I'm your homie you don't I'm gotta, one of you I'm one of you and they I'm hit me with you. the straight laced uh, they gave you the handshake eye, te- handshake eye contact four pumps <laughs> nice to meet you. Doom, doom, doom. great to meet you my name <laughs> is Richard like I'm like okay because so this isn't going to be fun. Uh, so they're giving me that vibe. And then we drop, like, we're dropping old tweets. And literally, I mean, these some of these guys, they're like, dude, I, they they could have thought of anywhere else they wanted to be. We're, and I, the more I thought about it, I'm like, yo, we're in the middle of the biggest job interview that they'll have their entire life. And they're right? being judged by literally everything they do. and Every like, little any thing. Any little bit of personality or fun that they show, every scout is up there watching like, oh, phew. This, this guy's a clown. He's not exactly. taking this seriously. Minus, right. minus, minus. So, so they can't show any personality. They can't show any personality. Some of them just got done running terrible 40s, right? Like, so, oh, they're already, so they're pissed, they're too, pissed, on top of it. And they have to do fun Twitter things. We're in the stadium of Lucas Oil Stadium. It, if you guys, I know it's hard to see during the combine, but it, I mean, it's, you can literally hear a pin drop. It's lifeless. So it's life. There's not a word being said by anybody, right? Everybody is there with like stop watches. They're in polos and khakis. I'm there with ripped jeans, right? <laughs> Laughing and being loud. So I'm like, it's just a weird proposition and place to do this show at. So the guys, you know, I mean, it was fun. And I just felt bad that I was like forcing them to be fun in the middle of the job interview. I would love for like, that might be my next skit is what that real life version is like as you as regular people go to like their <laughs> yes. job and i stop in the middle and like oh, on the way funny. in front of the boss that they're trying to get the job from i'm asking funny twitter questions about hashtags <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good yeah uh what players stood out either in your funny non-funny interview or for what they did on the field so i had a couple of players stand out now i went into this combine not knowing anybody right because i'm not you know, I don't have to. You, you don't focus on college. Yeah, let's be I don't focus like, on college. We work for NFL Network, so yeah. when we look at college film, when we look at college guys, it's mostly around the draft and exactly. the combine. And We're not watching it during the year. Like ESPN people, they talk, like Dan Orlovsky, or, yep. or, um, Bruce Gregkowski, like those guys, they watch a lot of college and there's yep. a lot more carryover. For us, we're just, we focus on football. We do what, what we do best. Exactly. Football, NFL. And it's like, if I'm not doing a combine show, I'm not going to dive into these guys, right? Because... Literally, I wouldn't have enough time in the day with everything else that we're doing. So I'm going in there blind. I'm just watching the guys. And I, I first started with a tight end group, and I don't know any of them. And as I'm watching them all, I'm like, okay, whoever number tight end 17 is, he's the best one. And, you know, the people around me, producers, they may have, may not know that. I don't know who that is. So we find a name, Adam Trotman. Trotman. And I'm like, he's the best one. You know, he's, you know, strong, in and out of his breaks the best, can change direction, you know, all these things. And I'm like, I, I bet he's the top guy. And, and you know, I looked at this. Somebody's like, oh, no, he went to Dayton. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's not. K. 
can't be a top guy if he's, you know, small school. I don't even think Dayton's a scholarship school. So I wait for Bucky Brooks to come over. I'm like, hey, Bucky, <laughs> who's number 17? I've been watching. He's the best one out here. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, he, he, he'll probably, he could be the first one off the board. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it's his only question. He's at a small school, but yeah, he's the, he's the guy. You know, he's, the, he's strong. He can block. He can do that. And I'm like, I knew it. He's like, yeah, you still got it. What do you think? You just, what are you, one day scouting it? I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm just calling him how I see him. So Adam Troutman, Dayton tight end. He's the guy in three or four years. I think we're going to be like, yo, this is one of the best tight ends in the game. What a steal so-and-so got. Yeah, it's funny that you said that uh, because last year was my first time doing the combine for NFL Network. It was really uh, fun, but I went into it blind just like you did where I, I didn't really focus a lot on college. I watched Wisconsin. I watched the Big Ten, but I'm not like scouting it. I'm, I'm just watching it for fun because right. I'm a college football fan and I'm a fan. Um, and so it actually, I think, gives you a much better evaluation of these players yep. because you don't have that bias going into it hearing Mel Kuyper and... Mm-hmm. Todd McShay and Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah, like telling you who you think should be good. So you're seeing what they're doing on the field with these rose colored glasses or this tint of, Oh, well that guy's not supposed to be very good. So I don't think he's going to be good as I'm watching what he's doing. Um, And it actually worked out pretty well last year. I I was able to just kind of watch those guys move and I was able to kind of pick out the three or four guys that actually went pretty high in the draft and had pretty good rookie seasons. And so I went into it a little bit more prepared this year, Um, but I'm interested to see if the guys that I thought are going to be really good end up being good. And then I can start, we can start our consulting services. I was going to say scouting combine and, and uh, the scouting service. Cause I, I think there's something there. Although you have a lot more history and background doing this type of stuff than I do. Yeah. I mean, dude, I think you're completely right. There is something to offer. I know we joke a lot, but like we've seen players from that perspective for so long, right? Like we have such a database in our brain for how guys move. You can think of every O-line that you've ever played with, and you know exactly how they move. You remember how the good ones moved. You remember how the bad ones moved. You remember the ones that looked bad but actually played good. You remember the ones that looked good but played bad, and you can see why from that field-level view. So that's like when we're at our element. It's when we're looking from the pie in the sky, which is the camera angle, which is where there's not much of an advantage for us because we're not used to looking at guys in that way there are guys that look different from that angle that look like different players when you are field level they're really it's, i was gonna say it sounds that's weird, a great point but it's different. That's a great point i'm very self-aware about my scouting skills and i know where i'm really good at is watching dudes on the field yep. go against other dudes or move and i can say yeah you can move the way you need to or no you can't yep and what i'm really bad at is watching college film and saying this guy's going to be good or this guy's (laughs) going to be bad because actually when Ray Farmer was the GM he gave me an iPad with a bunch of um, college players Uh and he was like hey look at all these guys and tell me what you think and I'm not kidding you I watched 20 offensive tackles and I looked at all of them and I go I don't think any of them are going to be drafted (laughs) they all look like absolute crap I didn't say crap like because Taylor I was Luan. like, these guys are horrible. And he's like, oh, five of those are going to be first rounders and two of them are going to go in the top 10. I'm like, well, I guess I can't be a scout because they look like shit. They absolutely look like they suck. Uh, but it, it is really interesting watching him on the field because you can see how they move and, and they popped. And so for me, a couple guys that really popped um, from an offensive tackle standpoint, uh-huh. Mackay Becton, obviously he uh, is the offensive tackle from Louisville, 6'7", 360. He ran super fast and was really impressive just watching his athleticism, watching his build. He is built like an athlete 
below the waist and above the waist, he's built like Jonathan Ogden's okay. bodyguard. Yep. He is love it. massively huge and strong and he moves well. He didn't do drills. Unfortunately, I would have loved to see him do drills, but just moving. He Typically an indicator that he's about to make a lot of money. Yeah, he's going to, he's definitely going to be the no drills 15. guys. Yeah. 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 He ran like a five, one at three fifty or whatever. And immediately I'm sure his agent called him and said, don't do another thing. All you can do is hurt yourself. <laughs> uh, so he was super impressive. Um, Jedrick Wills from Alabama. He's a 6'4", 310-pound offensive lineman. Okay. He did a good job moving. I saw really good lateral quickness, ability to stay low, uh, move his feet, good hip mobility. He mm-hmm. was impressive. Uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, another offensive tackle, looked really well, really good. Can we get him on the show? Because I feel like he's a Andrew Thomas. I mean... Andrew Thomas. He's my brother from. My first name is Andrew, too, though. So it's. Oh, he might be the official rookie of the Tomahawk show. I saw a mock draft. I had him going to the Browns, too. Can you imagine if if Andrew Thomas goes to the Browns? (laughs) Should we start that campaign now? Andrew Thomas to the Browns? I think so. All right, it's official. So. We're getting behind. It's like you know, we're, we're giving what's it when the, uh, the election happens? Like a political endorsement? Yeah, we're giving our we're giving our 2020 draft yeah. endorsement <laughs> to Andrew Thomas like of Georgia to be a Cleveland Brown. We're going to start the campaign. We will get our graphic design people on it. They don't work in the offseason, so it might take a while to get to them. But Andrew Thomas of the Browns. All right, you were so saying Tristan. Uh, those three guys for tackle. I would say just from watching them, uh-huh. um, not watching game film or anything. Yeah. Uh, I would put a Mackay Becton one, Andrew Thomas two, Jedrick Wills three, just from watching him at the combine strictly. That's no game film. Okay. Um, then the guy who really stole the show of the combine from an offensive line perspective was Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, 6'5", 320. Wirfs. The dude was a total beast. Yeah. He went 36 and a half in vertical, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah, uh, that's that's an incredible amount of force generation with your hips. 10-1 broad jump, which usually mm-hmm. if you can jump up really well, you can usually jump out really well as well because you're basically doing the same thing. It just takes more coordination right. to jump out than it does just jump straight up in the air. So he showed that not only is he explosive, but he can generate the force in a coordinated manner and move uh, horizontally. And he ran a 4.85, which is lightning fast. And on top Dude. of all that, he did a good job laterally moving. He could stay low. He could bend his ankles, knees, and hips. Um he moved with proper balance. So he was really impressive. That sounds funny to people. He can bend his ankle, knees, and hips. They're like, yeah, he's human, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a human. He can see. He, was he not wearing not, a cast? <laughs> he does not have fused ankles. This is positive. <laughs> this is good. Very um, positive in this, in but, this world. But uh, I didn't have him in that three-player offensive tackle list because he's a guy that can play tackle or guard. And I wouldn't be surprised if he plays guard right away. Just the way he moves, okay. to me, just he looks like he moves more as a guard, at least off the bat. And mm-hmm. so if you take him in the top 10, which I think he probably will go in the top 10, um, he might be like a Jonathan Ogden where he plays his first year as guard, and then they work with him all offseason and try to move him out to one of the tackles because I think he does have the athleticism to play that tackle position, but it'll be easier and more natural for him to go right away to guard. But he's a guy that has value because because he can play inside or he can play outside. So is six love five too Morris. short for a tackle? Oh no way, no, no way. Uh, what is the, the minimum height that you want? Time. At it doesn't matter. I, doesn't. I'm not a big heightist. Okay. Although I tease you for being I was very say, short. I'm not a heightist. I've been tackle. petitioning me, for you to be suspended for calling me the <laughs> M word for a long time, but we'll get to that <laughs> yes. later. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I, I think for for me to play offensive tackle, it's more about your legs and how long those are and your ability to. to travel across a large space and you've seen short people with long legs that's weird um 
if you have a short torso, okay. you could be Baby short, torso. but you have long legs. And if you're able to bend, because when you're kick setting as a tackle, you need to gain a lot of ground with those okay. kicks. And guys that can't gain a lot of ground, you got to put them at guard. So the only guys way to be a good left tackle if you're shorter is you have to literally be a deformed human. Like you have to have yes, the, exactly. the lower body of a 6'6 six, six person and the upper no body of a, what, a 5'9er? Yeah, and that would actually okay. be really good because if you can bend your legs, then you can gain leverage and get under guys very right. easily. So no, um, I'm not a heightist, but I, I want to look at them and, and make sure that you can gain a lot of ground with your your kick sets. So okay. uh, he was my favorite uh, guard tackle. And then two other guys that really popped for me are Cesar Ruiz from Michigan. He's an offensive center, more likely, inside okay. three guy. He moved really well. He could stay low. He could snap the football. He could drop his feet. He could drop his hips. He could get out of his stance quickly. He was good. But even more impressive than him was Nick Harris from Washington. He was my favorite center. He moved extremely well. He was uh, right there with Cesar Ruiz, but even a little bit better doing the drills. He reminded me a lot of Marquise Pouncey, who I have a lot of respect for mm-hmm. uh, from the Steelers. So uh, those two guys really pop for center. Uh, anybody pop for you besides uh, Adam Troutman? Besides Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman on the receiver side. Um, LaVisca Chenault. Uh, he, I mean, he didn't have great numbers, but I mean, a lot of these guys was personality and I always, I just feel like so much of just players in general was like how they're wired and more of like what they do in the field and LaVisca Chanel, who's been through some stuff, man, like whew, he's been through some stuff. I, I just appreciated the kind of guy he was high production. He kind of reminds me of a Jarvis Landry type um, because he goes hard constantly high numbers and, and like catches catch per game but he's just wired the right way and we were sitting there talking about the game and the way he was thinking about it and going through it like and how his approach to the game I'm like if you approach it that way you're going to be successful it reminded Mm -hmm. me of Jarvis a lot because Jarvis didn't have high numbers at the combine right which Mm -hmm. is why he fell to the third round people forget that he was also the leading receiver when Odell was on the team at LSU but his numbers weren't great at the combine which is why he fell but if you look at the way he approaches the game the way he plays it he is always going to be the top guy on the field. Um, mm-hmm. Other guys are T. Higgins, who also didn't do much, but he does remind me a lot of A.J. Green. He's a go-up-and-get-it kind of guy, wow. 50-50 ball, They're super crazy. athletic. Um, lastly was the kind of the talk of the combine, which was Henry Ruggs and, and, and his ability to, like, explode. Now, actually, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about Ruggs in a little bit. C.D. Lamb was another one, and it was cool because we interviewed C.D. Lamb, and it was Lamb, Wolf, and Hawk. Um, on one interview, <laughs> who survives? Like a know, zoo. Who wins? Right, and it's crazy. Yeah, who who wins? A lamb, a hawk, <laughs> and a wolf are stuck in a room. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, he he balled out at the combine too. He had a crazy catch in one of the drills. Just showed his athletic ability, body control. But uh, rugs. So rugs' goal was to break the combine record. There's always a person that comes into the combine like hey, I'm going to break the record. There's a reason that it only gets broken once every 15 years because. You ha- it's like crazy to run that fast. But Ruggs ran like a 4-2-7, I believe. Mm. But the special thing about him is when they started putting up his high school basketball highlights, mm-hmm. and they That's looked sick. like, A, they were in fast motion. But this dude got would get in the air, and he would be a shoulder above the rim. And he's not the oh biggest dude. He's only like 6-1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 5'11". Dude. Henry Ruggs, 5'11". Yeah, bro. And if you see these highlights, it, 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 wow. it made me – be- it made me think, like, if I could dunk like that, I don't know if there's anybody who would have been able to convince me to play college football. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> like, I, could, I would awesome. imagine, you know, like, I always talk about the best feelings um, for an athlete 
One of them, you know, this is a fam- family friendly uh, platform. Like, uh, we can't. Talk we won't go into that Andrew. one. <laughs> Number a close second is scoring a touchdown, right? And there is no feeling like I mean, having you know, when you have a kid, that's an incredible feeling. Like it's like, man, I have a lot. Like that is an awesome feeling. Scoring a touchdown is something that can't be duplicated. Dunking a basketball is like that too, especially in a in a certain situation in a game, and you just dunk on somebody. He had a whole highlight tape worth of these kind of highlights, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, if I could do that, I'm telling you, I don't give a damn if it was Alabama, Oklahoma. I don't care what kind of money the boosters dropped off at my parents' house. Quinnipiac, <laughs> a small D1 school, could have called me to come play basketball. And I was going to go play basketball. Just I'm like, and I'm going to dunk every time I get my hand on the ball or I'm going to try. I'm going to be the worst player you've ever played with. Because it's just going to be like and one basketball to me. But, yeah, so he was someone who stood out with that kind of explosion. Joe, can you dunk? Have you dunked? Joe can't can dunk. Can Joe dunk or can Hawk dunk? Joe. Who? That's a good question. That's, oh. that's a question for the uh, I, I had my first dunk in sixth grade, a first dunk in a basketball game in eighth grade. Oh. And I could dunk as of last year, but my explosion is going my ability to create power in these hips is going way down so i can do like the old man dunk as of a year ago where you just like stand under the hoop and you go up with like one hand and you just kind of put it down uh but that's about all i've got right now so yes and no i could dunk in college and a couple ankle injuries later it's decided but i would i would have to and i couldn't palm the ball so i would have to dunk with two hands and backwards I'd like to. So know it was very. It was like an awesome dunk. I'd be like, "Yo, you're dumb," but I'm like, "That's the only dunk I can do." <laughs> that's all I got. I throw it up and dunk backwards, and they're like, "Oh shit, dude got hops," and I'm like, "Yep, that's it. I'm done. I'm done for the day. That's it. Imagine what else well, I could do." <laughs> I, I want to hear. Put put a bow. Who's your first receiver that you would take? Andrew Hawkins, general manager. Ooh, I don't know. I, you mean based off just the combine? Because again, I haven't watched yeah, film just, on just any. Just watching of these the combine. I'm saying, and both of us, we've already put it out there that we didn't watch film on all these guys. Yeah. So this is just strictly from what you saw at the combine. From strictly from what I saw at the combine, it would probably be C.D. Lamb. Okay. Just because he had everything, he had like a little bit of what Lavisca brought, which is like, you know, just technique, technique, and and all that kind of stuff. He had a little bit of what T. Higgins brings, which I think his best thing is going up and get the football. And he had some explosion, which is everything Rugs brings. So I think he's like kind of the central version of all those things that I like in those receivers. Um, and uh, and before we move off the combine talk, I think yeah. it's important to mention our guy Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin's yeah. running back. He was on the show during the Super Bowl. He ran a blazing fast 40. He, he went 439, which was the fastest among all running backs. And he called his shot because he told us he was going to run 43 when he was with us at the Super Bowl. So that was pretty cool. I was happy for him uh, that he was able to do that. He's probably turned himself into a first round pick, maybe the first running back off the board. So pretty mm. excited for my man JT. He called it, bro. He called it. He said he wanted to go 43. He said it's lofty, but I think I can do it. And boom. The man did it. It's a big dude. He's what, 226? That's wild. Yeah, he's a big man. All right, so before we actually do move on from combine talk, the other thing I did was I interviewed uh, some of the quarterbacks. Joe Burrow. Yeah. If we were just judging, if if interviewing in Moxie was a part of the combine, the mm. dude's got it, man. It got is. It. He's got it. Dude. That. I'm like, and I'm not going to say. So I talked to a lot of quarterbacks, and there's like, you know, I talked to – and again, it's you know it's a combine. It's the biggest job interview. My guy Fromm brought it again. He is like, 
he's on his P's and Q's and he knows that he's putting his best foot forward. And he was fun and he was like, he he's a guy who's lobbying for an opportunity. He wants to show what he can he can do. So he's going to be an overachiever type. Joe Burrow just had this, he had such a cool factor to him, dog. I'm not even, not like, it didn't come across like an a-hole. It didn't come across, like, because he made fun of himself and he was self-aware in that way. So he's not like, it's just, you know, the guys that are so confident, it it doesn't even cross their mind that you could say anything where it would upset them about themselves because they're so confident in what they do, right? It's when someone calls me slow and I'm like, ha. Ah, yeah, man, you know, I got to get that speed up, you know, but I'm in my mind. I'm like, dude, <laughs> nobody can move. Like, we all know this. What are we talking about? Joe Burrow had that kind of moxie, man. I'm not going to lie. When he walked away, I'm like, whew, that's going. guys are going to follow that dude. He just had a presence about him. But yeah. there were some guys that I interviewed at the Combine that I'll just say this. I did not get that guys are going to follow him, feel from him early on. Well, to your point about Joe Burrow, he had a tweet where he said, considering retirement after I was informed the football would be slipping out of my tiny hands. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. to your point, he's got no insecurities. It seems no, like. man, he doesn't. It did, again, it didn't come across like pompous. It didn't come across like full of himself. You know what I'm saying? He was like, I was like, at what point did you know you were having a special se- you were going to have a special season? He was like, uh, probably in the spring sometime. Being dead serious. <laughs> okay. Wow. That, that works. Uh He's like, yeah, probably when I came out the womb, no big deal. Um, yeah, the other part, the cool part about the combine is, and I don't know if you got to, Joe, where did you stay at? What hotel? Were you at the Westin? I stayed at the Hyatt right there. Okay, you were at the Hyatt. So, I mean, the other cool part is being able to see and interact with all the coaches and front office people that you've seen and known and played for and, and worked with through your career because everybody is there. Everybody that we've talked about, I ran into over those few couple of days. I won't bore you with all the stories, but one one cool story was Martin Mayhew, who I think is a maybe assistant GM now in San Fran. I haven't okay. seen him probably in 10 years since I was an intern for him when he was the general manager of the Lions. So I walk up to him. It's actually me and Bruce Gratkowski were hanging out. So, you know, he's walking by. I'm like, oh, Martin, what's up, man? How you doing? He's like, hey, what's up, Hawk, man? Good to see you. I'm like, thank you. I'm like, Bruce, this is Martin Mayhew. Um, you know, I actually interned for him at the Lions. And he goes... Yeah, we were such astute scouts that while we were searching for a slot receiver, um, the best one we found was the one actually that was scouting for us, and we overlooked him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was funny. That was cool. Uh, the other person I ran into, uh, which was wow, was the special teams coordinator at the Bengals. And it, he's, he's been like the best special teams coordinator in the league for a while now. And one of like, there's like two or three guys that everyone talks about, and he's one of them. And it's just funny. He's an older dude. And, you know, he's he's just all ball. So he's not the kind of dude like, you know, you're hitting on text and you're like, you're cool. You know, because he's very much he's been in the league a long time. You know what I'm saying? So when I seen him, I'm like, coach, what's up, man? Give him a big hug. He was a big reason for why I even got in the NFL. First thing he says is, I never forget, you know, we're at Baltimore. We got the kickoff team. You're at the L2. We got Taylor Mays at the L3. Taylor comes down. He blows that dude up. You hit the edge. You and he he walks through this entire kickoff you play. Every bit of that. Huh? Yeah, that we tackled at like you know the 17 yard line, and he's wow. like, I never forget that man. And and that's the, that's what you brought to the table. Proud of everything you're doing. You keep it going, and it just kept it moving. I'm like, damn, that dude and should be a head coach, man. 
That's why special teams coaches have no friends because all they can talk about <laughs> on a Friday night when they're at a nice dinner is, you know, that uh. kickoff return in practice <laughs> where the L7 made that up and under. It was unbelievable. I still get Dude, chills. I'm not going to lie. It hyped me up. It put me like it put me back in that mode. It felt like it was a Saturday night before a game and we were talking about what I'm going to do tomorrow on the kickoff team at L2. Been in the corner, cutting, trimming the fat, hitting the edge. But it, I, seriously, is, it was an epiphany for me right there. Like, yo. This dude needs a head coaching opportunity because, again, That's, being able to command a room, everybody on the team had incredible respect for him. From And, you know, we had a lot of characters in Cincinnati. Every single one of them he demanded respect from, and they gave it to him because that's how, like, he approached his job. And everyone knew this dude is in it to win it. He gives everything. And if you don't bring it the way he does, it was going to be a problem. That's what you want out of your head coach, man. This season, start a new routine to upgrade your everyday life with a monthly box of awesome from Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post sends Hawk and I only the best stuff every month. So whether you're looking to commemorate an occasion with a champagne saber or toast perfectly aged winter cocktails, Box of Awesome has you covered. In my first box, I got the forge knife because, well, it's Damascus steel. It's beautiful, it's tough, and it's sharp as hell. I love knives. I love collecting knives. I love using them. I love cooking with them. And more than anything, I love getting them in my box of awesome. Yeah, got to love Forge Knife. My son plays that all the time. In my first box, I got the Weekender bag because I do a lot of traveling. I like to look good and I like my stuff to be secure. It's one of the most popular items. It's durable, it's stylish, and it's great for weekend trips, which I do a lot of. To get started, take a quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel at any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code TOMAHAWK at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code TOMAHAWK for 20% off your first box. All right, Hawk, enough combine talk. I think it's time to call NFL super agent Peter Schaefer to talk NFL collective bargaining agreement. Mm. Hello? 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 Hello. You've reached the Tomahawk line. Hello? Peter. Yes? Your man, Joe Thomas here. With your radio voice. With your iPad voice. <laughs> With, I got the radio voice on today. Or your iPod yes. voice. Yes, hopefully you brought your podcast voice because we're going to be talking everybody's favorite topic right now, collective bargaining yes. agreement. Oh, I love that stuff. Yes, that, that's beautiful. I got my guy, Andrew Hawkins, here with me, and I think it's time. Let's just dive right into it. Um, the NFL owners and the NFL PA have been working for months. They tell us they've been working, <laughs> at least, uh, on the new CBA, and reps from all 32 teams have recently voted. The vote ended 17-14 in favor of the proposal. There was one rep that abstained. Uh, but now the big hurdle for the CBA is that it's going to the players. Yeah, Joe, we call that a unanimous vote. 17 to 14. A unanimous vote. 17, 14, and 1. Just like the Browns' undefeated season of 0 and 16 and 1 and 15. Never got a loss, but uh, that's the way it came down. Um, the 2,000 plus players in the NFL right now are going to have an opportunity to vote. And I think there's 60% of the players, if they vote yes, it becomes ratified because the owners have already ratified it. The vote probably won't happen for a couple of weeks. Um, but the interesting thing is, 
Some of the most vocal and popular players in the NFL have came out against this agreement. And even the NFLPA's own executive committee voted 7-4 against the contract. So it's not exactly overwhelmingly popular right now. Uh, And that's why we brought you on because there's been a lot of guys, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, Mm -hmm. J.J. Watt, Marquise Pouncey, that have came out against this proposal. So let's start here. Um, Why do you think these players, the ones that I just named, have come out so far against this proposal? Yeah, it's interesting, Joe. First of all, usually when people say not overwhelmingly popular, that's their segue to introduce me, by the way. (laughs) Speaking of underwhelmingly popular. (laughs) All right, so I think that the first thing is that you're adding a 17th game. And for so many years, there was just such a stigma. And everybody at the union, you know, when you two played, you heard 17 game. 17 games, and it was a you know, definite no, right? No way. Absolute yeah. no, not even discussion, no, hard no. Right. And so you hear that, you hear that, and now all of a sudden that hard no went to, okay, it's part of the deal, and we've been talking about it for six or eight or 12 months. And so I think that you have the, the visceral reaction of veteran players, and no better than the two of you to say, okay, what would a 17th game be? Now, so my position has always been, to the union and to the league, before we discuss the 17th game, <clears throat> being that health and well-being and safety of the players should be paramount, have we done an analytical study to determine how many extra hits a 17th game is going to be? What is the increased risk? Um, you know, because before you can go to whether it's worth it economically, you know, I think you should discuss whether, you know, it, it's even safe. You know, sort of like, you know, if I were to say to you, Joe, I'm going to hire you to come work for my firm, and I'm going to pay you $25 million a year. Are you in, Joe? I, I am. Well, I am, Peter. Job. Yeah, we could, take a, we could take a vote right now if you want to. <laughs> right, right. But then I say, Hawk, okay, so here's the $25 million. I'm sending you to Chernobyl to be my boots on the ground to sign up a number of people for a personal injury suit against the Russian government. Yeah. Are you still in? Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, do you have – get, do I get the miles? <laughs> As long as we got those, you got a deal, bud. <laughs> Joe might be in a different situation, though. Okay. But what happens if I say to you then for that $25 million, your your chances of dying of some crazy cancer in the next two years are about 80%. Yeah. Are you in? Um, yeah. You should probably, probably have not, this conversation right? with Joe, Peter. Um, <laughs> yeah, was, I'm, I was the, the wrong case study for this. Yes. <laughs> Hawk has sold his soul to the devil for much cheaper than $25 million. Like, well, let me get out of my current deal where I'm only getting paid 400000 to do the same thing, and we could dock business, Peter. <laughs> well, we're we'll we're going to buy that deal out. My okay. point is this. I would have much rather had an analytical study done. Now, what is the impact on linebackers? What is the impact on backup linebackers? What's the impact on the left tackle, the right tackle, the young players, the old players? How can we then offset that additional impact you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, ALS and concussion and post-concussion mm-hmm. syndrome and Parkinson's disease, how do we offset that? What do we do? What do we take away in the offseason? What do we take away in training camp? What about, you know, having buys before Thursday night games? All kinds of stuff so that we can make sure that the health and well-being of the players is a paramount concern in changing what's historically been, you know, 16 games. That's, that would have been my position. I agree, and I, and, I, and I think you hit a really good point, and that was my thing all along, um, and I even had our, our producers looking up the old 
collective bargaining agreement before the 2011. And, and maybe you remember offhand, Peter, do you remember what the rev split was with the league prior to the 2011 CBA? It was before it was about 50 to 11. Yeah. And that's why the owners locked us out because right. they thought 50 was, wasn't, you know, even though, of course they all talk about teamwork. So teamwork to me sounds like, well, 50, 50. And so the new CBA in 2011 was at 47. Right. And that, and, and that was my biggest thing with like kind of the whole picture, you know what I mean? Cause they understand that unfortunately we're looking at things from a deal to deal standpoint. If you look from the last, three CBAs, they essentially took revenue back and then gave back only half of what they took for an extra game. That makes zero sense, right? So you're not undoing the last CBA. You have to now go double time to try to even get back to where we were prior to that, which I think was, you know, a right rightful deal. And I'm with you. I don't think 17 games for what they're offering is worth it whatsoever based on some of the horror stories we've seen, you know, post-career dealing with hit. That, that there's no way things get safer. I always say, if I increase playing in traffic 13% more, there's, it doesn't inherently decrease my chances of being hit by a bus. You know, so if you're increasing the risk, <laughs> you know, don't, don't sell me on, oh, it's actually safer. It's not. There's no way. That's impossible. Well, right. But if, if we were to take out two exhibition games and if we were to take out hitting in training camp and we were to take out – um, OTAs in May and move them to June. You know, there might be a way to, to at least equate or offset the risk completely. And that's what I would have wanted to know. I just would have liked to see the study before you do a $160 billion deal. But I'm sure there's some analytics guy in Cleveland that can help us out. Don't they talk about that every time? <laughs> that is always the buzzword in Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> but you would think that the union would be using some type of analytics to figure it out. Um, but from your perspective, talking to the players that you've talked to and that you represent, what are the issues that they have in this deal that they feel like could be potentially the pivots for players to vote no? Well, I think the first is the 17 games. Second is the marijuana. I just think, and of course, I live in Colorado, so whatever I say, first of all, is legal. And whatever I do is even more legal. Right. Um, not that I do. I was going to say, Peter, are you toting up? No. <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't. They have, they, have, uh, they have stores on every corner. I still wouldn't really? find okay? I can imagine. <laughs> but the, the point is, why do we even care? Right? Half the states are playing. It's legal. Um, if a player gets arrested, then it's under the personal conduct policy. You know, to me, well, you know, Colorado, if you look at the Broncos, the number of DUIs, bar fights, arrests, has gone down almost zero. And that think that some of the players are you know, just staying at home. And if it's real tough to get in trouble, like you say, you go play in traffic, you get hit by a bus. Yep. Well, if you stay at home, you're not going to get hit by that bus. Yep. So, but I also think that we need to find adequate pain management for players. When you guys started, what, what, what was the great panacea? Tordo, right? Yep. I mean, I'm sure you're Tore it all before the game, Viking after the game. Right. You walk into the locker room and everybody's getting tore all shots from the team doctor. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. I, I, I always talk about when I when I came to Cleveland and it was like right before my first game and I just walked in, like pull, dropped my pants and was like, all right, give him a shot. And they were like, okay, first <laughs> off, pull your pants up. Number two, we don't give tore all shot. I'm like, what? 
How am I supposed to play an NFL Sorry. game without tour at all? Right, because it is. It's a, you know, for for those sitting at home wishing they had tour at all, it, <laughs> for 24 hours, you, your body felt pretty good, right? Yeah, no, the game, During the game, after. And so they've outlawed it. They've outlawed it probably correctly because who knows what the adverse effects of multiple tordal shots in the season is going to be when you're 40, 50, 60 years old through mm-hmm. you know, your liver and your kidney and all that other stuff. But you just can't outlaw an adequate pain remedy and not replace it with something. It's my point. Right. No, I agree. And I, and I think you're right about even just the marijuana in general. It was always a thing to me. It's like that shouldn't be a negotiation tactic because – Within the next five years, it's going to be legal everywhere anyway. And you're going to look bad as a league still reprimanding guys for something that is legal. So it shouldn't go. It shouldn't be a a, a negotiation point in this. That's something that's inevitable because, like you said, everybody is trending towards that way already. Like there are apps that people show me that like Uber will deliver weed to your house in here in California. So to, to say, hey, we will start. Well, no, there are apps that people show friends of yours that they then tell you about, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you I've heard. I've, I've, I've Googled for this, for this episode of what's available, and that's, what I, that's where I figured it out. Right. A good friend of mine named Natalie told me about the weed apps. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so you know, to, um, me that's, to me that's something that really, um, you know, and I'm not some type of, you know, li- you know really hard to live on this stuff. I'm just being a realistic. And, it, how does it make the NFL better when your star players get suspended for doing something that everybody else in the country can do? People pay to see the star players. And I just think that that's, you're headed in your shameless move forward. That's fine. So one, one thing that I, I saw in this potential labor negotiation CBA that I didn't think the players would really like is the fact that we're going to be possibly moving from four preseason games to three preseason games. And I think the casual fan might say, oh, the players, they should like that, right? Because players hate preseason games. Well, that's not necessarily true because most players actually like the preseason games because if you're a starter, if you're an established veteran, usually you're not playing a lot in those games. And usually you get the day before is sort of a light walkthrough practice. The day of the game, you usually do a workout or you just do the warm up in a few plays and then you're done. And then the day after, you usually have off. If you're a young player, if you're a player that's trying to make a name for himself, you love those preseason games because it's your opportunity to get on the field in real game action and make a name for yourself and get the attention of the scouts and the coaches. And so it's your chance. So don't you don't want those chances taken away from you. Um, if you reduce the number of preseason games, also what you're going to end up having, I think, is those a lot of coaches are going to think, oh, I have fewer opportunities to get my team ready, so I'm going to need my starters to play more in the preseason. And they still need opportunities to see the whole staff, so they're going to probably do more joint practices. Oh, no. And as everybody's going to joint practice, they are absolutely brutal. There's Uh. way more hits. There's way more fights. There's way more violence and potential situations for injury. So what you've done is you've reduced a revenue stream by reducing the number of preseason games. You've given the starters more hits in preseason games, and you're getting everybody more hits and beatings when you're doing more joint practices, which most players don't like. So it seems like it's the worst possible outcome. Less revenue, more hits, and somehow this is being sold as a positive to the players. Correct. I was going to say, as you went on, there's no reason for me to answer once you went to the joint practices. Because yeah. that's, that, that's correct. Now, are the joint practices good for the first and second year players? Yes. 
but only, and I've tried it on both sides, this league and the PA, let's film those joint practices and let that film get out to, to, to teams. Because right now, if you're, you know, Johnny Rookie, if you're playing in those, uh, you know, uh, joint practices, nobody sees the film except for the two teams involved. Okay? Right. Why don't we, hey, excuse me, why don't we let this tape get out so that those players can get exposure? Yeah. But again, you're absolutely right. Taking that game out and allowing more joint practices is not the panacea. Excuse me, I'm allergic to something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I, you guys know anything I can take for this? Uh, <laughs> I'll keep I got a nap for you. We'll, we'll talk about that when, after the show. Um, but you're exactly right. And with the joint practices, it's funny because that's actually like three games in one. Like yeah. you, every practice yeah. is more yeah. intense than any preseason game, and everybody gets more reps. Like, I remember it, it, it was the worst. Joint practices, I'm not even kidding, was probably the worst experience that I had as an NFL player. Because, it, I mean, it's, it's as intense. Understanding this, because in, a, in, a, in an exhibition game or preseason game, they're, going, they're playing offense versus defense and the other people are off the field. When you're doing joint practices on one field, your offense is going to be saving. Yeah. And every, every drill. going at once. It, it's the biggest loophole Correct. that – the NFL has, and yeah, I hate joint practices. No, you're completely right, man. And they're doing one on ones. They're, they're doing one on ones, and they're you know the, the, the drills. It's not just eleven on eleven, right? They're doing going straight, you know, start to finish, right? Co- coaches are masters of efficiency. Uh, except when it comes to their own time and meetings. But when it comes to practice time, they don't want any wasted time. And so basically what a joint practice is, it's like three games in one where they've taken out all the rest that you naturally have built into a game where you're on the sideline or you're in the locker room. They've removed all of that and they've just jammed them all into one thing. So it's just, you go from one to the next to the next. And so as far as like a beating on your joints and your brain, it's way worse. Um, But I want to talk about one other point that I think could have been better, and both Hawk and I live this, is when the Browns were going through their deep, dark rebuild, they had a few years, especially uh, early on in the CBA, where they were spending way, 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 way under what the salary cap was. And one thing that I thought they should have done a better job of in this next CBA was to guarantee that some of these teams that are known for not really spending a lot of money to make sure that there's a minimum spend requirement on a yearly basis so that you don't get stuck in this three or four year period on a team like the Browns or the Bengals where they're trying to rebuild and they're basically just saving all their salary cap space. So they're just not spending that money. And it seemed like that was something that was not addressed in this latest CBA. I would agree with that. You know, that what the, it used to be a four-year rolling average at 89%. So mm-hmm. now they're saying it's a 90% and it goes three years, three years, four. All right? To me, the smartest team in football, and I don't think this sentence has ever been used before, was the Miami Dolphins this year. Because if you're really going to suck and you're really going to trade off all your players, you might as well not even spend money to do it. So they spent... Wow. Not only did they trade up all the players, not only did they stop, they spent $140 million this year when every other team is spending 190 200 210 220 Well, you're just going to so disrespect the Browns like that, Peter, right in front of our face? We, we originated that tactic. That's the, that's the Joe Thomas special. That's the Sashi Brown, right. That's called the Sashi Brown. Yeah. And so the union to sit there and say, like, Joe Smith, okay, fine. Perhaps maybe you do it three years, three years, four years, but at no time there should be something, at least some type of floor. And under no circumstances should you be able to spend less 
85 percent there's some number yeah we're in there because that's 40 million dollars Oh, that $40 million is two things. One, obviously it would go to players. And two, it increases the competition in free agency, which bids up other players. Yep. Yep. So without that $40 million, and not once did you see the union complain about what the Dolphins were doing. Shoot, the yep. NFL should have complained. The Miami Dolphins fans should have you know, put Cleveland Brown jerseys on or something. Mm. Isn't that what you were doing? Yep, yeah, basically. Should all give number so, 73. Joe, I think you're right. I think you're right, because the key to me is is never about the teams that are going to spend money. The, the, the Steelers are going to spend. The Giants are going to spend. Those teams are always going to spend cash. Hmm. It's the, the job of the CBA is to get the teams that are otherwise not predisposed to spend to spend. That should be what the deal is. How do you get these other teams to spend that don't want to spend? How do you force them to do something they don't want to do? Because that's how you get more money in the players' pockets. That's the deal. All right. Let's get down to the nut cutting time here. Have you recommended to your players whether to accept this proposal mm. or deny it? I was hoping to get the, you know, we've got bullet points. And so prior to me recommending it, I was hoping to get the actual deal. Because you just get this overview. The first overview was from about 20,000 feet. Now I've only got, on Friday, it was about 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. But I do think that before the players should vote on it, they shouldn't just get an overview and the bullet points of, you know, what I, you know, what we like about the deal, they should get the whole thing. You know, sort of like, that's why you go on dates. You know, the yeah. first date, you're just getting just the bullet points of why I'm so great. And after a while, you're looking at, wow, okay. <laughs> oh, you're a pathological liar. I said, okay, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a liar. Unreliable. Yeah. Your left hand's bigger than your right hand. All kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> That'd be weird. <laughs> so I would just think that before we can recommend it, before we can recommend it, I would like to see the whole view. Correct. All right. That's fair enough. That's like the health care act. Remember when uh, Obamacare got passed, the big complaint was, well, it's so big. Nobody even knows what's in it. I feel like the CBA is kind of similar to that is we don't really know what's in it. We're going to sign or we're going to agree or not agree as players uh, on this deal, but we don't even really know what's in it. We've heard a few things, but we haven't really seen a bullet by bullet perfect summary of exactly what's going on. But uh, let's just assume this deal gets turned down. Where do you think the players could find ways that they could do better for the next round of negotiations? Well, I would think that, you know, Hawk would have to make coffee executive director. She understands that yep. to give up that 17th game, we should get back to close to 50 50. Mm-hmm. I think that we really need to look seriously at a complete revamping of the offseason schedule to make the players, <clears throat> to make the, the offseason. Better, more efficient for the players. I have never understood why the team spend, and I think it's about three and a half to four million dollars in OTA. You have a flying guys in coaching food, and it's you know for eleven weeks, and it starts. Of course, you guys are firing your coach every year, so you always get to start early. But the teams that don't fire the coach usually starts middle of April and goes to the middle of June. So it's about you know nine weeks, ten weeks. And then June 15 come, they look at you and say, Hawk, Joe, we'll see you in six weeks. Come back in shape. 
Right. Right now, baseball's in spring training, right? So they have six weeks of spring training. What happens? They go right into the season. So you get them in shape, you get them up to speed, you go right into the season. Why not give the players a much longer off season? Maybe yeah. to June. Go six weeks, June to middle of July. Mm-hmm. You know, install your offense, install your defense, get kids in shape, get players in shape. Give them a week off, maybe before training camp, and don't, let's get after it. Mm-hmm. Doing it my way, you reduce the off season. First of all, you start later than you reduce the number of weeks. Two, you can reduce training camp because if you install everything in six weeks, which you can do, I assume then you don't need as many weeks in training camp to bang because you've installed everything. Heck, the reality is you probably do three non-padded practices, three padded practices, and go right in the exhibition season. We can probably cut 10 days out of training to do it by doing it this way. And things like that is what I would like to see. Well, tell me this. All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. You, you know the players are voting. The, you know, 2,000, you know, some 2,000 players are giving their votes for wh- which way they want this to go, the majority rules. What do you think happens? The mere question, the mere fact that you have to ask that question is historic in the, in the annals of sports labor law. Never before has a CBA been put to a vote without a certain answer. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it historic, that we don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Okay? And I think that part of that's part of the thing is I just really wish that we had everybody on board because it would take a lot of stress you know, off the agents, off the players, off the union, to know this is what we got. Right. And, you know, I, I, I hope for labor peace for all time for, for football. You know, we don't want to have labor strife. You don't want to have uncertainty. But at the same time, I do think it's important when you're signing a 10-year deal that you have a, a deal that's going to be able to be fair for 10 years. And that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. Well, Peter, we appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk Show, man. We were offline about that app where you get all of your medicine as well as the $25 million Russia deal. <laughs> Hopefully we can close that by the end of the week because I sure could use the cash infusion, brother. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, you guys do a great job. And, you know, I enjoy actually, I very rare this night for a podcast. But I do listen to your guys and do a great job. Oh, couldn't thank you enough, Peter. I appreciate it, Peter. All right, shout out to Peter Schaefer, man, who's a big reason this podcast exists because he was representing Joe. Joe made like $150 million while he played, and now Joe is so bored that he has to talk to me because he's made so much money. <laughs> a lot of that is due to Peter, so that's what's up. Yeah, yeah thank thanks, you, Peter. Peter. My agent's name that. is Craig Schaefer, which is, yeah. We're their bro- they're brothers. But they had a very yes. bad breakup early on, and uh, they have now have <laughs> conflicting agencies recruiting the same people. It's very, very, uh, very ugly. All right, so now it's time to unveil a brand new segment called Grade the Take, which was named by producer John. So if you think it's a dumb name, you can tweet him on the internet. Hey. Um, yeah, so producer John <laughs> is going to read an opinion from the Takeosphere, and Joe and I are going to give it a letter grade. If the take is Joe Thomas is the biggest loser in NFL history or something similar, obviously it will be an A. Or if the take is Andrew Hawkins is like Kevin Hart but shorter with worse jokes, then clearly that's an F. We will give that a terrible take grade. All right, before we get started, Joe, we need you to drop a new line for this game. So give us something that we can let producer Chris 
DJ Chris is a producer. Chris, it's been like a while. DJ Chris. All right, we'll go DJ Chris for him to cut up as an intro to the grade the take segment. Grade this take. Grade the 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 take. All right, John, get us started. Deion Sanders says the 49ers and Patriots should trade QBs. Jimmy gets shipped back to New England. Tom Brady signs with San Fran. Hawk, grade the take. A plus. I don't mind it at all. I think it. I think it'd be perfect marriage. Tom Brady gets to go home. Player he's always wanted to. Belichick gets Jimmy G for the future. Everybody wins. Joe. Uh, it's an F plus because okay. <laughs> while it makes sense for most of the people, it makes absolutely zero sense for the 49ers. They just went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. They know that they're a Super Bowl winning team with a young quarterback, and they're going to make themselves a Super Bowl potentially winning team with a quarterback who's got one or two years left. Then what do they do after Brady's done? This makes no sense for the 49ers. Yeah, the people in New England are probably sort of excited. The people in San Francisco are like sort of excited, but it's just not going to happen. Bad take. All right. Listener take. Zach T128 on Twitter writes, the Redskins should pull a Josh Rosen, trade Dwayne Haskins, and draft Tua. Joe, grade the take. That's an A take. That's a good take because we've seen a little bit from Dwayne Haskins this year, and it hasn't been great. And so he's not necessarily for sure the quarterback of the future in Washington. He was drafted by the previous regime who's not there anymore. So it's very possible that they could trade Dwayne Haskins. I don't know if they'd get more than a second or third rounder, though, uh, and draft Tua because they could easily say, hey, Tua has a much bigger and brighter future with us than Dwayne Haskins. So I I love that take. I'm going F minus take. Oh, I don't know if you've read any of the headlines around uh, the Redskins and injuries. Uh, I don't know if Tua in the Redskins training staff is a match made in heaven. I'm just going to put it out there like that. Bruce Arians said this week, you might run a 4-3 at the combine, but your tape says you're 4-6. You might run a 4-6, but your tape says you're a 4-4. The tape don't lie. The combine lies. You fall in love with the combine. You get your ass broke. Hawk, grade the take. That is a... There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, just off of this, I'm trying to buy time here. I'm gonna give it a C. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a C. Take. If you run a four three, you run a four three. Yes, you might play slower, but I think that just comes down to you um, thinking too much and probably not being able to process. So that's more of a wonderlick issue. If you run a four six in the forty. At the combine, which is a controlled setting, and it's literally just sprinting from start to finish, you won't get faster than that. That's pretty much what it is. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very much in the middle. I've seen. It doesn't mean you're not good, though, right? I know slow guys who are great football players. I know fast guys who suck. That's what he should have said. Some fast guys suck, and some slow guys are really good. Boom. That's. I just made. I just corrected his paper. A plus now. <laughs> Joe, yeah. great the take. All right. He gets a B-plus for this one because I know what Bruce Arians is trying to do. Bruce, he had a little short stint on TV, so he knows how to be explosive and boisterous and grab attention. And what he's trying to say is very true because if you fall in love with what you saw from a numbers perspective at the Combine, it's easy to overlook a guy that just can't play football because football is about so much more than running a 40 and doing a bench and doing a vertical. But what the combine is there for is to verify the things that you saw on tape and what you believe could be true. So if you saw a dude who was super fast on the on the field, 
and then you watch him at the combine and he ran a super slow 40, maybe it's time to go back. It's the old trust but verify approach, just the same way as if you saw a guy who you thought was really slow on the field, but then all of a sudden he runs a super fast 40 or does a great job in the short shuttle. Maybe you should go back and look and say, hey, maybe he looked slow because he had really long strides or he did things that were a little bit differently than I'm used to seeing. So I need to go back and sort of verify what I thought I saw the first time around. The great Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. That's what the combine is all about. And that's what Bruce Arians was trying to say, but he didn't exactly get to it perfectly. So that's why I give him a B plus instead of an A. The next question comes from a listener voicemail. NFL, UFC, off-season cage match. Baker Mayfield versus Tony Grossi. Winner keeps his job. <laughs> Joe, cage match between Baker and Tony. Winner keeps their job. Grade the take. Um, I'm giving it an A- minus because I think it would be hilarious. We would love it. We all know who would win this one. I love my guy Tony Grossi, but I love my guy <laughs> Baker Mayfield. It would make for incredible entertainment because they've been going back and forth since even before the Browns drafted him. But the reason it's not an A-plus is because this take is a little bit dated because Tony Grossi is, I think, currently unemployed after his little snafu at the I combine last week. I think he's suspended, week. right? Indefinitely, or? which is one step away from unemployed already. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I can I minus. I mean I Joe, I'm waiting for you to be suspended. If anybody wants to scour <laughs> through the Tomahawk footage and hear Joe mm. we're, we're make fun of my height. Good it's, thing our standards are way lower than they are <laughs> on real radio. <laughs> clearly. Clearly. All right. I'm gonna give that a would you give it a Joe? I get A minus. Okay, I'm going to give it an F because I don't carry the way. And typically, if I go opposite of Joe, I'll be right. All right, what do we got next? In response to a story about Tony Romo making $17 million a year for his new TV contract, Michael Thomas from the Saints said, that's why we shouldn't sign the new CBA agreement. No way the announcer should be making more than 90% of the players. Hawk, grade the take. Uh, I'm going to go F take here. And as much as I like (laughs) Michael Thomas, this is a bad take. And uh, I need the players to start understanding that your value off the field is actually bigger than your value on. And you could do it for the rest of your lives. And the more players that understand that, the better we would be in all of these situations. Fun fact. I'm more valuable now than I was as a player. Might be Mm. might be a shocker to some people. (laughs) But just know we are more than athletes. Boom. Yeah, this is the this this is the anti uninterrupted take here because <laughs> oh, no. he's so wrong. I love Michael Thomas, but he couldn't be more wrong. I understand like the whole premise of well, if there weren't players, you couldn't play the game and you couldn't talk about it. But there's a lot of people that make a lot of money at CBS who get to decide who gets a lot of that money, and they wouldn't just be giving it out to Tony Romo because they're friends with him or they're going to get part of the take. No, they realize how important it is to have people that are calling the game that know what they're talking about because they've seen the debacle that's happened with Monday Night Football and how their ratings have plummeted, and ratings are what pays the bills when you're in the TV business. Tony Romo consistently gets high marks from all fans that watch and listen, and he gets Huge ratings, just like the players on the field. Yep. So for him to make $17 million, makes perfect sense. It's what happens in a democracy, What's what happens in a free market. And also, on top of this, the reason it is a solid F take is the CBA has nothing to do with Tony Romo's <laughs> uh, income. It has nothing to do with what Tony's salary. It is completely unrelated. <laughs> so you can't make an A and B correlation whatsoever. Yeah. F take. He didn't show his work and. We couldn't figure out the in-between. <laughs> Last one, guys. In relation to this same story, Hawk, 
our boy Hawk wrote on Twitter to everyone reaching out. Yes. I've seen the Tony Romo $17 million per year news. Yes. I'm bummed about not getting the gig, but if a guy's willing to take $5 million less than my starting number, then CBS had to do what they had to do. Please respect my privacy during this <laughs> difficult time. Joe, grade the take. Uh, it's, it's an A plus take for me because everybody knows Hawk is the highest paid man in sports media. He's making 22 million a year mm -hmm. and he can't, lower himself no. by taking a paltry 17 million and doing all these weekend games for CBS. You yeah. got to hold strong Hawk. I know it's a tough time for your family, but yep, I yes. had to just throw it out there. A plus take. I appreciate your support and prayers through this entire process, Joe. You've been a rock for me. TNP for you, man. Every day. And, and, you know, we've talked through this and obviously you've, you've clearly known about the situation the entire time. But it, like you said, it was about principles. Like, you know, you, you set a standard, you have a value you stick to it and you don't let anybody minimize you. You don't anybody, let anybody tell you you're not worth $22 million a year. Um, because honestly, that was a pay cut even from what I make on this podcast. So, you know, CBS, they can, they can kiss my ass. I don't care. Um, good luck with Tony Romo. You'll be back, basically. All right. Hawk, do you want to grade your own take? Yeah, um, $22 million. <laughs> Okay. That's the number, people. Anybody listening, don't even call. So for those scoring at home, Joe, Joe gave out an F plus, an A, a B plus, an A minus, an F, and an A plus. Mm -hmm. Hawk gave out an A, an F minus. I don't think F plus and F minus are real scores. <laughs> you guys need to go back to school. Okay. C, F, F, and then his last take gets graded $22 million. Dang. You know what? We, we grade differently at the school of hard knocks. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Um, Joe, final thoughts. What do you got? Final thoughts. It was great getting back with you, man. I can't wait to see you in L.A. coming up. I know oh, yeah. both of us will be crossing paths as a rising stars in the NFL Network roster. We'll mm -hmm. be spending some time together in Culver, and I look forward to breaking some bread. Maybe you'll invite me over to your multi-billion dollar mansion that uh, that $22 million a year salary has been yep. affording. I can't wait to see it again. No, absolutely. And it is very big and it's very spacious and it is very, very luxurious. I look forward to having you at the house, buddy. All right. We'll see you guys. What? Next week? Next week. Every, next week. We'll be back every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. How about that for consistency and cadence? Tom of Flock. Joe, take us out, man. Joe Hawk. Yo, sir.